more to get us in the mood of thinking and then throwing it over to you to, uh, uh, to, to ask questions, to think about what questions you want to ask. Uh, you may think it's slightly strange that we're having a discussion about the Bible and we haven't had a reading from the Bible. The reason is, I'm not actually going to say anything particularly new this evening. I'm simply going to draw together the things that we've been thinking about over the last few weeks to point to some key issues and then throw it open to discussion. But can I stress... The topics for discussion are not going to be limited to what I've said this evening or what we've said in the course of the last few weeks. If there are particular issues you think we haven't addressed, don't sit there thinking, they've left aside the difficult questions, haven't they? Ask them. Uh, For example, we haven't touched on the origin of the Bible. How we know who wrote it, how we know we've got the original manuscripts, how we know how did the canon come into existence. If you want to talk about that, we will. If you want to talk about some particular issues you've got, clearly we can't discuss, you know, we can't suddenly have a full discussion about about, uh, a, a very detailed issue, but we can begin. So please feel free to ask exactly what you you want. But for the moment, let's get back to the real key issue. Uh, A few years ago, uh, you may recall we were uh, trying to find out who the right person to be our vicar was. And, of course, the answer was was him. Um, But as we were doing that, we produced this document, the uh, St. John the Evangelist Blackheath Parish Profile. And in that, we said what kind of person we were looking for. The new vicar, what we are looking for. By the way, it goes on for two pages. Uh, we'll score him out of ten at some future date. But, but here's the key. Right at the beginning of the first paragraph, uh, we, we, we said this. We said that we believe that the Bible is the supreme and sufficient authority in all matters of faith and conduct. And we said that that's the foundation of our church life. That's what we said about ourselves. By the way, I wrote that section, well, I wrote quite a lot of it, and actually, we asked for comments. Not a single PCC member had any question about that. Just about every other sentence in this document went through endless discussion. But that, no. We said, no, we agree with that. That that is the foundation of our church life. So what we need to do is think about that. The, The supreme and sufficient authority. The Bible is an authority. That's what we've been saying. It's our authority. Why is that? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God-breathed. It's our authority because it's inspired by God. That's the basis of us treating it as uh, authoritative. And that means it's rightly called Uh, the word of God. It calls itself the word of God. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And of course, God is authoritative. God is authoritative in all matters of faith and conduct. So so is the Bible. That's that's the way the logic goes. Did you note that 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. Not just some of it, the, the, the whole lot. Sometimes you will hear people say the Bible contains the word of God. And sometimes that's just sloppy terminology, but sometimes it isn't. Be just a little careful when you hear someone say that, because the implication is that some of the Bible is and some of the Bible isn't the word of God. And what that leads to is us judging the Bible. We decide which bits we think are the word of God and which bits aren't, and so we judge it rather than allowing it to judge us. Effectively, what we do is we subtract from the Bible. And we must never do that, because all scripture is inspired by God. So the Bible, all of it, is authoritative. More than that, it's our supreme authority, we say. Again, you may hear some people say that in the Church of England, we believe there are three pillars of authority. Scripture... Reason, tradition. Now, don't get me wrong. I, of all people, am not going to deride reason. I'm reasoning now, aren't I? We need our reason to help us to understand. It's God-given. We need our reason to help us to understand and apply the Bible, etc. Likewise, I I certainly don't uh, deride tradition. 
Actually, a brilliant description of the place of tradition is found at the beginning of the prayer book. If you ever want to look at it, I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you. There's nothing wrong, but we must never put them on a par with God's word. God's word is truth. Everything else is, is subordinate to that. So we must never find us saying, well, we've thought that through, and we've come to a conclusion through our reason, which is different from what scripture says, and therefore we'll follow our reason, not scripture. That places our reason above God's word. We mustn't do that. And as for tradition, well, if our traditions come into conflict with God's word, then so much the worse for for our traditions. So, God's word is authoritative. It is a supreme authority and a sufficient authority. It's very important, as Eddie said a couple of weeks ago, to, to, to be clear here. We're not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't guide us through all sorts of means. He definitely uses the Bible, but we're not saying the Holy Spirit never uses other means. No, but what we are saying is this, that the Bible is a complete and sufficient revelation of God, his purposes, specifically his salvation in Jesus, and his requirements for us. When, when I say it's a complete revelation, complete in this life, Paul says we at the moment see as uh, through a mirror or from, uh, uh, from a mirror. In due course, we will see completely face to face. Of course, ultimately, we will know God completely. But, but in this life, it's God's complete revelation. And we need to be really careful about people who want to add to it. Uh, no matter how much we respect them, no matter how much we like them. Uh, I have an example of this, actually, um, a couple of months ago. Uh, this woman I, I've met in the context of my work with the Evangelical Alliance, and, and she is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, she'll knock the spots off me and probably most of you in terms of sheer commitment, enthusiasm, etc. But she said to me, you know, Jesus has revealed to me something additional about himself and uh, she told me what, what it was and you know, no matter how much I really really admire her and my goodness God has used her I'm afraid the answer to that has to be no because you see Jesus said to his disciples he would lead them his apostles he would lead them into all truth about himself and they revealed that and they described it and they, we have it in the bible and to say that Jesus is revealing something new about himself now or about salvation which necessarily must be in that no that, that's that, that's not there that is adding to the bible we mustn't subtract from it but equally we mustn't add add to it that's why we say the bible is our supreme and sufficient or authority in all matters of faith and conduct. So that's what it is. What about how we use it? We've obviously said lots of things about how we use it during the course of this sermon series. Um, you know, there have been tips all the way along the course, and I'm not going to repeat all of those, uh, though there's much more that could be said. Probably won't come as any surprise to you that. I've actually probably said it much more. Uh, back, who was here in 2010? Put your hand up if you're a member of the church in 2010. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, a third of you, something like, like that. You may or may not remember I gave a series of seven sermons on this subject. Uh, yeah, all right, all right. You've got to listen to them all, mate. <laughs> um, uh, using the whole Bible as the word of God using uh, the Old Testament law, using the Old Testament history, using the Psalms, using the prophets, using the Gospels, using the New Testament letters. I did have privately have two more up my sleeve, but there wasn't time. Um, genuinely, if there are particular issues relating to those parts of the Bible that you want to think through, uh, do have a word with me. Those, those are still available, and I put so much work into them, I'd be delighted if you actually want to listen to them. That would be great. Um, but for today, we, 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 we're not going into that. What, what we just need to think about is a few general principles. First is this. If the whole Bible is the word of God, then we ought to be using the whole Bible, shouldn't we? I suspect a lot of us actually deep down have a canon within a canon that we use. 
When did you last read the first four chapters of One Chronicles? Let me prompt you, it's a list. Um, I suspect we don't, but, but actually it's part of the Word of God. So is Leviticus and Numbers and all of those. We need to use it all. Although we also need to work out how to use it. There's, there's a danger that we read the Bible. Eddie touched on this a few weeks ago. We read the Bible as if it were a list of moral commands addressed to us. It isn't. Worse, we're so used to reading parts of the New Testament, particularly Paul's letters, that we try and read the Psalms, the, the prophetic books, as if they were a Pauline epistle, and they're not. And so we just need to be careful. We need to work out what it is we're reading and be sensitive uh, to, to that. Uh, just, just one thing in relation to that. I can imagine some of you thinking, and perhaps I'm preempting a question, some of you thinking, well, yeah, that's, that's all very well, but not all of the Bible applies to us, does it? Surely there are bits that don't. How do we then decide which bits apply and which bits don't apply? The answer is simpler than you might think. Uh, Yeah, there are bits that don't apply to us in the same way as they applied to the people to whom they were originally given. But in order to work that out, we don't have to go outside the Bible. The Bible itself interprets itself if you see what I mean. The Bible itself guides us. Uh, Let me give you a classic example of that. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Um, uh, Right, you you don't sacrifice animals in your church, do you? But Leviticus says you should. Exodus says you should. Mosaic law generally says you should, but you don't. Uh, You eat meat with the blood in it, don't you? But the Mosaic law says you shouldn't. So why do you obey the sexual code in the very same part of the Bible? Why do you do it? Uh, One good test of this is, by the way, the same could be said of the Ten Commandments because they are also in the same part of the Bible. Why do you believe the Ten Commandments and yet eat meat with uh, the blood in it? As I say, the answer is very simple. Because... That's what the Bible tells us to do. Why? Think about what Jesus said. He said that until earth and heaven pass away, not one jot, not a tittle, not the smallest letter of the law will pass away. So he was saying, yeah, that's God's will. That's staying. That's the general point. It applies. However, we're also told by Mark that he abolished the food laws. So we, on Jesus' own authority, we do not have to worry about meat with the blood in it and those kinds of things. That was for a particular time in history. It's not for now. And what about the sacrifices? Ever read Hebrews? Hebrews says Jesus is the perfect sacrifice to whom all those other sacrifices pointed. There's not only no need to sacrifice now, it would be wrong to sacrifice now. It would be implying that we'd missed the point. Although, do you know, do you know Hebrews does indicate to us that that doesn't mean we dismiss all of that bit of the Bible. We still learn from it because we understand more about what Jesus did from the reading about the sacrifices, etc. So the answer's quite simple, and the answer's there in the Bible. We don't need to go outside the Bible to some other authority to understand all of those things. Of course, it doesn't mean that everything is completely clear, that we'll get it immediately. Yeah, there may be grey areas, there may be other things, but that's the basic principle. So, the whole Bible applies and we should use it. Second point, Eddie mentioned it before, the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. Uh, A number of you were here last week and we were looking at Ephesians. Do you remember Ephesians 4.18? Paul says that in our natural state, our understanding is darkened and that uh, we, uh, uh, we, we, we can't think about things, we can't understand things in the way we should. Jesus called people blind. Blind, they don't understand there. We need the Holy Spirit's help. Uh, and what that means is when we use the Bible, we really, really must be praying. Not just, Lord, I pray that you'd help me understand this right now, let's get down to the serious thing. But praying through it. Praying that God would show us to speak through his word and, and, think, and enable us to think it through. 
I stress, though, something I said in the morning a couple of weeks ago. This does not mean we are looking for God to reveal some hidden message in the Bible, things that are written between the lines which no one else can see. No, what we're saying is, Lord, put away the scales on my eyes, get rid of the effects of sin on my understanding, help me to see what it really says, what's there on the lines, not between the lines, help me to see your objective word and apply it in my life and understand that. That's what we're asking for. And that leads to to the final thing. Final thing I want to say anyway, uh, which is something that's been implicit in our whole series, but I haven't listened to a couple of them. I don't think it's ever been said, which is this the Bible is for everybody. We can all benefit from reading the Bible. You do not have to be theologically trained, you do not have to have particular experience or particular um, expertise in relation to this. Of course, if you get stuck, go and speak to somebody who might have been reading the Bible for longer, who might have really studied particular things. But you don't have to. Has it ever occurred to you that Paul wrote his letters, other people wrote their letters, to people who had no education at all in modern terms? Jesus was talking to people in villages around Galilee and then down in the south around Jerusalem. And... They understood. They were able to see. Of course, some of them were blind, as he said, but but that wasn't an intellectual problem. That was a spiritual problem. So they got the word. It was designed for them, and it's designed for us. And and so we can use it, and we shouldn't shouldn't fear using it. Yeah, it takes work. It does take take work, no doubt. But, But it's designed for us, and we should use it. So let's get right back to basics. What did we say we believed as a church? That the Bible is a supreme and sufficient authority in all matters of faith and conduct. And really, our task is to work out how we actually apply that in practice, not just accepting it in in theory. And what I suggest is uh, we can think about the issues to do with that as much as the issues to do with the Bible itself. Thanks very much, Richard. Thanks for that introductory uh, talk really. This is this is over to us. There, there may be a question that's not related to what uh, Richard has said, but you want to you've got you want to ask it. Here's an opportunity. So um, we're going to have uh, about 10, 15 minutes. Um, you might like to chat in your tables. That might be a good way of formulating the formation of what we call the canon of Scripture. That's not canon bang bang. That's the canon of. <laughs> Um, the books in the Bible, especially the New Testament, this question. Um, a reason for believing in the authoritative books included and then equally those that were excluded, considered inauthoritative um, books. And just maybe comment around the formation of the canon. Sure. Um, actually, this is, this is really interesting if you know the history uh, of, of this. Brothers who are not history buffs. No, 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 I will, I will, no, no, it's absolutely, I will, will, but it is a question, actually, ultimately, of history. Um, Probably some of you have in your mind the uh, vague impression, more than vague, that's been created by certain people, that at one point a load of bishops sat down and said, these are the books of the Bible. And you may think it happened at the Council of Nicaea. Um, That is actually total nonsense. Uh, uh, No council of bishops or anyone else ever considered the canon until 393 uh, AD, by which time it was all established. They weren't... uh, saying these are the authoritative books, they were saying these are the books the church has already recognised as authoritative. Uh, Incidentally, the Council of Nicaea, we have the records of, didn't even discuss the subject. So if anyone tells you the contrary, it's it's complete nonsense. What happened was really interesting. Um, You see, uh, in the early days, the key issue was to know uh, what Jesus had taught and, and what the apostles under his authority had taught. And very, very quickly, our four Gospels were accepted as authoritative. Um, Ignatius, in, uh, he was the um, Bishop of um, Hierapolis in uh, Asia Minor, he uh, uh, had alre- already quoting as authoritative from two of the four Gospels, and he refers to the Gospel generally, and he appears to have known of, of four 
Gospels. Certainly by 140, we have Papias, who was bishop of somewhere else, um, Smyrna. And um, he um, uh, was, uh, he, he effectively was uh, trying to find out the provenance of the Gospels. And he says he inquired deeply of those people who knew the truth. He talked to people who had known the apostles and found out uh, who wrote things and what they did. So, for example, he said he'd inquired and discovered that Mark wrote down what Peter had said about uh, the um, teaching and actions of Jesus. And he said that Matthew wrote down the oracles, the sayings of, of Jesus. And the authority came from that provenance, and it was accepted more or less immediately. Paul's letters uh, were clearly accepted as authoritative by the very first authors we have any evidence of, Ignatius, uh, uh, Clement, with a letter known as First Clement, probably written around 95 AD, some would date it later, uh, contains allusions to Paul's letters as authoritative. Uh, when you get to uh, 130, 140, even Marcion, uh, uh, frankly outright heretical, was accepting Paul's letters as authoritative. There was only real doubt about uh, a few books towards the end of our, our Bibles. Hebrews, there was uncertainty about whether that was by Paul or not, and there was, that caused some people nervousness about it. Um, some people were a bit nervous about James and Revelation on theological grounds. I think their theology was a little bit narrow, but, but, but some, uh, what, what authors in the second century say is most people accept them, but, um, but a number have doubts. Two Peter took a long time to be established because its style is so different from one Peter. I don't know why one author can't write in two different styles, but that uh, that's, was caused the doubts there. The, the net result is certainly six-sevenths more of our Bible was accepted as authoritative within the next generation after the apostles. It's hard to see how it could have been accepted as authoritative any earlier than that. Um, I think this is, uh, relates to one of the other questions that somebody had about um, concern that some of the, the books of the Bible, particularly the New Testament, was written um, uh, so long after the, the Acts the actual events themselves, and can you comment on just yes. broadly yeah, there are, yeah. when they, they were actually written? Yes, there, there, there are two issues. Actually, I, I know I haven't addressed the point about other books of mm. the, the, the Bible, the books the church rejected. Um, let's start with when they were written. Um, Papias was a very careful man, and, and he records very precisely, for, as I've described, that it was Mark who recorded Peter's preaching. Now, we don't know exactly when he wrote it down, but in some ways it doesn't matter. Mark listened to Peter. He, 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 was, he, he wrote down what Peter was saying, probably, one suspects, after Peter had died in Rome, because once Peter was no longer preaching, then uh, he'd gone, so somebody needed to write it down and circulate it. So one suspects it was written, what, 60, mm. 65 AD, something like that. Can't prove that. Some people think Matthew wrote after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, because there's a hint in the book maybe that Jerusalem had already fallen to the Romans by then. Who knows? But again, Papias and others attest that it was Matthew, the apostle, who was writing it. So in a sense, it doesn't really matter whether he wrote it down when he first preached about it or when he last preached mm. about it. As for John, he probably, uh, Luke probably wrote around the same time as, as Mark, Ma Matthew. Uh, John's very interesting because we have a fascinating uh, piece of evidence on that, which is um, uh, Irenaeus, the Bishop of Leon. He was Bishop of Leon at the end of the second century. Uh, and you might think, well, that's very late. How on earth would he know? Here's what's interesting. He was a pupil, well, he was taught by a guy called Polycarp, uh, who was martyred in 156 AD at the age of 86. And Irenaeus says he learned from Polycarp. And guess who Polycarp knew in his earlier days? The Apostle John. And Polycarp said that John wrote his gospel in Ephesus um, late in his life, probably, may, maybe as late as 90 AD. But, but again, it was John mm. who, who, who wrote it. So it's, it's, it's really quite, quite interesting. And, and Paul's letters 
probably the earliest is what, 45 AD, mm. probably through it, it, to 60 AD? Yeah, maybe 15, 20 years after Jesus' death. Or less. So, I mean, th- I think one of the things I just add to what Richard said is that we live in a very um, literary uh, culture. Um, in, in the first century, they lived in a, a very much an oral culture. So, you know, um, stories and lessons were, were commuted, communicated orally until they were actually written down. So, um, and, and it's hard sometimes for us to get around, our heads around that because they really, you know, stories were really conveyed carefully because they really were important. And we slightly find that quite difficult because we don't live in an oral communication uh, mode in that sense. And I think that's really important to understand. Yes. These are not, you know, they wrote down anything. They wrote down the stories that have been passed down carefully and remembered. Can, can yeah. I just, to, just address quickly this point about other Gospels and yeah, things? Yeah. I don't know if you've ever read the books that... Uh, that uh, the Da Vinci Code goes on and on about. I have. They are, they're not like the books in our Bible at all. I can assure you. Just go online, read them. They, they, they read like fantasies and fairy tales and complete nonsense. And no reputable scholar believes they were written before well into the second century. These, our books are quite clear in the Bible are quite clearly written by the apostles of Jesus um, in the first century AD. These things that were rejected, well, no council sat down and rejected them. They were just discarded by the church. They were blatantly nonsense. They were blatantly forgeries and they just died the death. And good riddance, actually. Just read them. They're, they're, they, they don't even... They have no similarity to the Bible. Does anybody have a, a question they want to follow up or query or on this kind of topic of, of the canon and the, that side of it? So before we move on, does anybody want to jump up? There's a question at the back. Uh, where are you, Matt? There you go. Is that Sarah? I can't see. Yeah. Sorry, can't hear. You say that the... <laughs> uh, you say the, the books are discounted by the church but how could you explain that with kind of maybe Catholics believing certain gospels and, and books like that and the apocrypha and stuff um, the Catholics certainly do not accept there are any other gospels the Catholics, the, the New Testament is, is what it is I mean bear in mind as this, these books were being accepted there was no such thing as the Roman Catholic Church or the Church of England or any other churches so uh, you won't find there is any difference in the books of the New Testament accepted by the, uh, by the Catholic Church the Apocrypha is an Old Testament issue the real issue with the Old Testament is what was the Bible of Jesus because it's perfectly clear from what we have in the New Testament that uh, Jesus accepted the Bible, the Old Testament, as the word of God. Uh, what the Bible said, God said. You can give innumerable examples of that. So the question is, what was his Bible? And we have two pieces of evidence for that. First of all, all there's Philo of Alexandria. He was a Jew who lived, I think he was born about 20 BC, I'd have to check, but, and probably lived in, until about 50 AD. And also Josephus, who was a Jew uh, in, uh, in Palestine, what we, uh, the, the, the Judea and, uh, and, and Idumea and, and places around there, um, who was about a generation after Jesus. And they attest to the books of the Bible. Now, in one or two places, what they say isn't particularly clear, but basically, um, uh, it, it seems pretty clear. I mean, you know, you can't say certain, but pretty close that the Bible Jesus used had the books in it that we have in it, uh, the ones that are in those Bibles there. The Apocrypha um, comprise a whole series of other books um, which are varying quality. How did, it, how did the confusion over that happen? Well, uh, quite early in the church's life, and we're talking about probably 100 AD, maybe shortly after that, uh, the church was almost entirely Greek-speaking. Uh, and uh, because... Jerusalem had fallen, you know, there was, there was very little um, Aramaic or let alone Hebrew-speaking Jews. And the church came to use the uh, uh, Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And uh, that frequently circulated with a whole series of other books attached to it. Things like Tobit and 1 and 2 Maccabees, etc. Though it wasn't always the same set of books. But somewhat naturally... A lot of people came to accept those as having the same authority 
as the Old Testament itself, though doubts were continually expressed. So it is that some of our earliest whole manuscripts of the Old Testament, the Codex Vaticanus from about 340 and and, and Sinaiticus from the same period, they have some of these books attached. But here's the key. They don't have the same ones attached. It's different lists. Uh, And there were always doubts about them. And it wasn't really until the Reformation that uh, the Reformers said, hey, hang on, can we just go back here? The church has taken a wrong turn. That wasn't the Bible of Jesus. And said, we're not going to accept them. Now, the Catholic Church at the Council of Trent decided against that and accepted some of the books as canonical, but not all of them. Um, So you will find some books which are apocrypha, which are in the Jerusalem Bible, the Catholic Bible, some are not. Uh, but, but I do think the real question is, what was Jesus' Bible? And the answer to that is what you've got in front of you. Okay. There's, I'm sure there's bound to be lots of other questions around that whole area, um, but I think we probably need to, to move Yes, have on. I addressed those, those questions I think, on there? I think Yeah, okay, have. that's fine. Unless there's any last ditch on those kind of text, those issues, canon. Okay, let's move on. This is um, more around um, particular issues within scriptures. Um, and, and this is a sort of general question that you often hear people will say, well, the, the Bible's full of, full of con- contradictions. Yes. Um, so maybe, we could, maybe you could say something around that issue of contradictions. Um, they haven't, there's a specific one that's in here, but there's, let, maybe just okay. um, frame that. I mean, my usual yeah. approach is to say, well, what, which ones do you talk well, about? Well, you sort of have to, but, but, but let's talk about it generally. Um, a number of the alleged contradictions are based on misunderstandings as to the nature of the Bible. The classic one of this is you will find different stories are placed in different Gospels at different places. So, you know, in one Gospel, the feeding of the 5,000 comes early, in one it comes later, etc., the church at an early stage realized what that was. Uh, uh, Oregon, writing in uh, the early third century, immediately said, well, it's perfectly clear. The, Bible, the Gospels aren't in chronological order. Mm. Um, and we read them as if they were, but they're not. They're, they're, they are uh, ju- just because event A follows event B, or the other way around, uh, in in one gospel, doesn't mean the gospel writer is asserting they happened in that order. Now, sometimes they are. Sometimes they say, and immediately following this, this happened, or and immediately following that. So contradictions of of timing then disappear. Other alleged contradictions, frequently people are raising this about the gospels, other alleged contradictions vanish once you understand that we don't know the full truth. Uh, of what's what's going on. I mean, I'm a lawyer. You can hear hear two people's accounts of an event, and initially you think they're contradictory, but actually they're complementary. And the classic of that is the differences alleged to be found between the Synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John. Do bear in mind, John focuses on Jesus' ministry around Jerusalem. It appears John probably had a home in Jerusalem. He probably was involved in the trading community. And he focuses on that. And have you noticed he focuses far more on what Jesus was saying privately to his disciples than the other gospel writers who focus on what he's saying publicly, particularly up north in Galilee. Once you understand that, a number of differences, both in the tone of what Jesus is saying and the content... (coughs) start to fall into place and these these alleged contradictions yeah. become that sort of disappear we've been running a, a course called case for christ um which is actually based on this book and um, that does deal a lot particularly around the resurrection and the cross because those are some of the obviously the key events yeah and that we can and and uh, lee strobel goes through that and shows how um that the, the alleged contradictions are are very minor or, or they're not substantial in any way. Um, so do, um, and I think one of the things, the other things I'd point out is that we're not reading it, they're not writing us history in the way that we might understand history. You're not going from A to B in, a, in a, a chronological sense. They are, they're writing, they're telling us a theology as well. They're telling us a story about salvation um, and not necessarily giving us every key 
uh, you know, sort of this date and that date, is that they, are, they all have purposes in why they were writing um, and therefore giving slightly different angles on the same thing. Yes. Also, by the way, alleged, alleged contradictions, or at least inaccuracies, based on what we know about ancient history... Um, are, very, uh, are very fragile because uh, we know so little. Uh, for example, in, in years gone by, people used to say Luke got things wrong because he mentioned a census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Well, there was no record. Well, there is now because we found a record of it. We shouldn't assume we know so much about events in the Roman Empire about at the time that we can say the Gospel writers got it wrong just because we don't know from any other source. That would be a very fragile way of uh, approaching it. Right, Richard, you're a preacher, I'm a preacher. Um, are we just adding with our interpretation? Uh, how can you read the Bible and not put your interpretation on it? Well, that's, that's, that's a really important point, and that's why... I think it's a good question. Well, no, I do, but, but that's why I think both you and I always encourage people to look at the Bible while we're, while we're preaching. Um, it really is important that everybody look at the Bible and say... Did that come from the Bible? Is this the Bible being expounded and validly applied to us? Or is this a bee in the bonnet of the, of the speaker? I've heard many sermons where there's a bee in the bonnet of the speaker. I have to admit, once or twice, I've gone back to my own sermons and thought, hmm, I think there was a bit of a bee buzzing in my bonnet in that uh, uh, sermon. Uh, but it's true. It's true. And, and we do have to be careful about it. That said... We're all called upon to apply this to ourselves. And it is the job of the preacher to pray, to ask for God to help us, to help you, to apply it. And we pray, I don't know if you know, we meet up in that room and we pray for ourselves, we pray for you. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would be taking uh, the word of God, using us to expand it and working in all of you to apply it in your lives. And we actually pray sometimes, Lord, if I say anything that's wrong, can everyone please forget it? Um, because we will. We are human. We will get it wrong. Um, but but, but I, 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 I hope that what we say, uh, sometimes when you look at it, you think, yeah, actually, yeah, that is what God is saying here. I'm just trying to think whether I should add to I don't think there's anything I'd add to that other than saying... Um, you have the Bible open in front of you. Yeah. It's there to protect you against me. And I think I said that a few, a few weeks ago, you know, because, you know, I, I could manipulate if I wanted to. And I think to, to suit my own interpretation, I'm desperately trying not to do that, but you need to check it out. And I think that's a responsibility for all of us, that it's a frightening responsibility for me as somebody who preaches, I have to come under God in that and be accountable to God in that. And, and so, you know, I don't take that lightly and I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the preaching team don't. I think that's important to say because I want you to know that we're not, I believe we're not trying to peddle a particular my Eddie's view. Um, we're trying to preach what is in here. Um, I don't know about you, but I very rarely come to a passage thinking, oh, I know what I'm going to say about that. I find that I spend a lot of time thinking... I need, I need to understand this myself. I need to apply it to myself. And uh, I very rarely start thinking I know what I'm going to say. I, I genuinely find that, that as I read it, as I pray about it, um, I begin to understand it better myself. I'll open up in a minute to, to questions again. But this is a really, I think this question is a really important one. For, for many people get worried about the Old Testament because they, and the question is, the Bible includes some numerous accounts of horrific violence, brutality and cruelty, and we, we see that in the Old Testament. And it, the question is, commanded by God or done in his name? Mm -hmm. How do we justify and explain this behaviour by our God? Okay. There's lots in that question, there but I think this is a really important one for us to think through. I, I think I last spoke on the destruction of the Canaanites in, I think, 1991 or something like, like that. Can anyone what? remember that? <laughs> Joanna? <laughs> um, um, look, first of all, we, we need to get this in, in, in context. Um, there, are, there, are, there are three things, I, th I think. Um, uh, first, um, four things. First, first of all, um, 
let us remember that right from the very first commands of the Bible, God is commanding love and, and, uh, and respect and all of those good things. So it's always in that context. Don't let anyone tell you that the God of the, the Old Testament is wrathful, etc., the God of the New is loving, etc. I used to think it was great fun to preach love themes from the Old and wrath themes from the New, just to prove it's complete, complete nonsense. The, the, the God of the Old Testament is portrayed in exactly the same way as the God of the New, the Lord and Father of our, uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so that's important point number one. Important point number two is um, when people talk about all this God-sanctioned violence, they are actually talking about Joshua's invasion of the Promised Land. That's what they're talking about, the book of Joshua. Um, you, won't, you won't find that elsewhere uh, in, in the Bible at all. That is the one place. Um, and if you can find it elsewhere, let me know. But, but I don't think you can. Elsewhere, by the way, there is an awful lot of violence, but the Bible is portraying the world in a realistic way, in a way I think we shy away from. There's no make-believe about the Bible. Think about King David. It doesn't hide what's in the human heart. It doesn't hide the fact he committed murder and adultery and goodness knows what else. So it never shies away from that. So what we're really talking about is the book of Joshua here. Now, in relation to the book of Joshua, we, we've got a number of things happening there. And different people, I agree, say different things about this. But I don't think you can get away from the fact that it does say emphatically that God said that, you should, that the Canaanites were to be destroyed. If you go back to Genesis, there is a passage there about just how evil the practices of the Canaanites were. And what the Bible portrays this as is God's judgment on those, those people. Now, we not, may not be comfortable with that, and I won't pretend I sit here thinking, gosh, I'm so glad that's in the Bible, uh, because clearly it does pose issues for us. And, you know, I've seen a number of um, you know, people otherwise really committed to the Bible who really recoil. But if you think about it another way, we do actually believe in God's judgment. Jesus talked about God's judgment. He talked about it an awful lot. What we recoil from, though, is we like to put God's judgment nicely in the future. We want it to be something very safely in the future where we can disregard it largely. Whereas this was desperately in the present. And it does raise some some very, very difficult issues. But I think they're issues we, we should grapple with. I don't, you know, I'm not saying we'll come up with all the answers, but we need to grapple with them. But, but I don't agree that the, the Old Testament is shot through with all of that. Uh, it's it shot through with, um, uh, with all sorts of realities of human behaviour. But, mm. but, you know. uh, and that is almost a, a topic in itself that I have actually thought might be quite a good open-to-questions topic in itself. I, I grew up, so if you way, think that is a good one to, yeah. to talk about and flesh out more deeply, because it is an important one. But by, by the way, I should say, of course, it, the Bible does say that the destruction of Jerusalem, um, etc., that is, the Israelites being punished, was God's doing. Now, if, if, when does, uh, what is it, when, does, uh, when is a city destroyed and it's not the Lord who does it, the crumbs? That's a misquote from Amos, I think, but... Uh, but, but, you know, we'd have to grapple with that. It's the reality of God's judgment. We need to move on. Uh, is there any, any further questions around that sort of area? Shall we move on? Um, this is getting into some specifics now in terms mm-hmm. of some of the, the actual teaching that we read. Some of Paul's teaching um, say uh, no longer... Uh, applicable to us we say is no longer applicable to us so for example why why do we pick and choose certain things and and this the one that's given as an example is for example women covering their heads in church um that's there's there's a couple around that kind of topic of maybe picking uh and choosing and not fully yes um i think we sometimes do pick and choose and we shouldn't uh i'll come on to the hats in a minute um, uh, <laughs> got them ready. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I. Do you know what? I think in recent years, particularly over perhaps the last thirty, forty years, um, Christians in this country, including evangelicals, have been a little bit too keen to suddenly decide that bits of the Bible don't apply to them, and, and, and actually, by and large, they do. 
Uh, Sometimes the Bible makes it clear itself. And again, what we need to do is ask what the Bible says about this, not what we'd like to impose on it. Sometimes the Bible makes it clear in and of itself that this is something which related to a specific situation, and we have to ask ourselves, are we in that situation? All right, hats in church. Um, I'm going to... I think I have to admit to you, I don't understand Paul's logic in relation to that. And by by that, I don't mean I understand what he's saying and I disagree with it and I think it's barking mad. What I'm saying is I really do not understand what he's saying in that passage. So I find it jolly difficult to work out whether what he's saying is based on a particular issue he was facing um, in um, Corinth? Corinth. Corinth. Um, or whether it is something of more general applicability. Some of what he says there does appear to be a more general applicability. He talks about because of the angels. The trouble is he just says because of the angels, and I naturally say, what do you mean because of the angels? Because of what about the angels? Um, So I'm going to admit that I'm confused. It may apply, but I certainly don't have the confidence in that to start going around plonking hats on every woman. I think this is a... a, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is how loudly is the, the text speaking or the, the Bible speaking on a particular topic like that area? You know, in a sense, the wearing hats, it, it, it intuitively sounds quite secondary. Now, it might not be, but it sounds quite like a well, secondary Well, it's never matter. mentioned as a point of salvation. Quite. It's never mentioned. When Paul lists his so, things about you know, the following people won't inherit the, the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say, and women who don't wear hats in church. Well, so but it really, really is important. a really important point, though, isn't it? Because it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's understanding what is salvific, what is yeah. about... And, Let's and get things in proportion. And, um, and probably the other thing to say about that is that what we, we do need, don't we, to... I'm trying to corroborate what you're saying, is that we do need to look at the context what was the context of first century. I'm not saying it's easy to understand that particular one, but we do need to actually understand the history. We do, but I I think sometimes people have gone too far in relation to that. We must be careful, (laughs) to quote, I forget who it was, who said, we must be careful we don't make our New Testament interpretation based on the latest PhD thesis coming out about Roman history. Um, the, The Bible interprets itself. It just so happens this one is not Paul's clearest statement. Okay, well, we're getting towards the end, and I've got a few more here that sort of areas that we haven't really talked about, but would you be able to give some examples of where the Bible refers itself to the Word of God? I think you alluded to a few already. Well, actually, the classic is Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Um, and, you know, there it is. It's referring to the word. Uh, incidentally, I know somebody asked, isn't 2 Timothy 3.16 referring to the Old Testament, not to the New uh, Testament? And the answer is yes. Actually, if you listen to the sermon I gave in the morning two weeks ago, I addressed that point. The authority of the New Testament, that is true of the New Testament, even though it wasn't referring to the New Testament. The authority of the New Testament is based on Christ's commission to his apostles and his promise to the apostles. He'd bring to their recollection all the things that uh, he, he had taught them uh, and also uh, his promise to guide them into all the truth about himself. That's where the authority of the New Testament comes from, Jesus himself. There's an interesting little bit, isn't there, at the end of 2 Peter where yes. Peter is saying, oh, Paul's very complicated to understand, isn't he? And we all know that. And Peter says um, uh, people manipulate and try and um, uh, change what he is saying like they do the other scriptures. Yes. So the, the implication is that Peter is saying Paul's writing is scripture, like the other scriptures. And yes. I think that's an important yeah, I agree evidence that. for that. Um, is there any burning question that somebody hasn't had the chance to, to ask before Please do take the opportunity. Um, if not, I think that's. I think we may call it. They're okay. all similar. And 
Any, any final question? The last chance, I think there's Nathan down the front. There may not be an answer to this one. Um, this one's an advice one. For those of us that struggle with certain books of the Bible, what advice could you give when reading those books? Which books did you have in mind? Look, look, the, the, no, the, the, there's ones a... where the translation isn't so evident, like the Gospels, where it's story based. Something like songs. Or the parables. Yeah, exactly, yeah. where there is a clear meaning. That's a good question. No, well, look, I, I think the, the general co- comment is, if you do struggle with a particular book, talk to other people. I mean, talk in your home group, talk to, to other Christians around, but, but if necessary, come talk to a member of the, the ministry team. Um, uh, generally, you, know, you will find other people have grappled with it and worked through it. Um, it's back to the point I was making earlier about... We need to work out, the, to, to understand, we, we shouldn't read every bit of the Bible as if it was a Pauline epistle, and, 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 and we need to take it for what it is. And so very often I found that when I've talked through with somebody and realised, hey, hang on a moment, this is a poem, it's, it's going to be different, or hang on a moment, this is apocalyptic, I need to deal with that differently. That really helps. And, and then there are plenty of aids to, um, to, 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 to studying the Bible, ranging from, you know big fat tomes to, to much thinner things. So, so you know, just ask. And, but I do encourage everyone to chat in their home groups about it. And by the way, in your home groups, if you, if you thought something's been said that's wrong in the sermons, raise it. Have a chat about it. And if you all agree it was rubbish, then come and talk to us. I'm no, really, I'm serious. I'm really sorry we've not been able to get through every single question here. There's loads of great questions. Um, but hopefully that's just brought things to, to attention and, and given some, uh, some brief answers to where we might start with some of these topics. The, you've seen on your tables, there's a little pamphlet like that that says, open up the Bible. I mean, this is really lots of different ways in which you can read the Bible, whether you're young or old. Um, you're welcome to take away that copy. Um, or if you need some help um, reading the Bible, there's that. As I said, I've got a copy of The Case for Christ, which is looking particularly around the evidence around the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you'd like a copy, I've got three of those. I also have a few copies of this little book, which, is a set, which it says, Can I Really Trust the Bible? And other questions about scripture, truth, and how God speaks. It's really thin. It's only about 70 pages long. If you'd like a copy of that, um, please come and grab one afterwards. Cover covers some of the topics that we've already um, covered.